PulpMX Network production. This is the Rocky Mountain ATV MC Kiefer Tested Podcast. The podcast you come to for the straight insight on all things moto-centric. Hard parts, bikes, gear, suspension, motor mods, and more. It's Kiefer Tested. Here he is, Chris Kiefer. Hey everybody, thank you for joining me once again on a new week and a new episode of the RockyMountainATVMC.com Kiefer Tested Podcast presented by Fly Racing and Race Tech. RockyMountainATVMC.com is the trusted online source for parts, accessories, gear for dirt bikes, side-by-sides, ATVs, and street bikes, low prices, unparalleled customer service, and free three-day shipping. Over 75 bucks. It's so easy to see why RockyMountainATVMC.com is the premier shopping destination for all of us out there. Thank you, Rocky Mountain. Fly Racing, FlyRacing.com. Go check out the new line of gear, helmets, boots, socks. They got hard parts. Anything you guys want, WPS slash FlyRacing.com is the website to go to. I can't stress enough how anal I am about gear, and every time I slip on anything fly racing related, it is awesome. I love it. So go check them out, flyracing.com. Racetech, racetech.com, get your suspension serviced, oils changed, seals, bushings, whatever it is, suspension related and engine related, head over to racetech.com and they can help you out. And of course, as always, Chris at KieferInkTesting.com if you guys want a discount code to get your stuff serviced or revalved or resprung or get your engine done. We have a code. We have an email out there for you to save yourself some money because God knows this sport is expensive. Trust me. If it wasn't for this job, I told my kid the other day, we'd be struggle street on getting some new stuff here in the garage because... uh what you see out there in the shop is not real life. I understand how expensive it is. So get yourself a discount code, email me, and I will try to help you guys out as much as I can. You guys looking for a new Kawasaki, Yamaha, or a KTM? Powermotorsports.com. Again, you can hit me up on my email. I can get you in contact with David over there at Power Motorsports and get you the best deal on a green, blue, or an orange bike. Had a buddy drive up from Southern California because that is how good the deal was. Trust me. You guys are going to get a brand new bike or even a year old bike. They still have some over there on Power Motorsports dealership floor. Go check them out. Go see what they have. If you're interested, hit me up. I will get you in contact with the guys over there and save yourself some money that way too if you want a new bike. Cool stuff as we try to do over here. So hey, thank you for joining me. This is a new episode Fresh off the heels of the Pulp MX show Monday night. I am lagging ass a little bit. I'm not going to lie. I'm a little under the weather. I've been sick for a few days. And late nights at Pulp do not make Tuesdays any easier. But we are here to talk about 2020 450 MX shootout, how we're going to do it. And of course, I'm going to give you guys my personal ranking. And I'm going to tell you what we're going to do with that personal ranking in our shootouts this year. I am looking to do something... A little different. I know 
We talked about some of this on the Pulp MX show, so if you haven't heard it, some of this might be redundant to you, but what you will not hear on the Pulp MX show, what you will hear here on the Kiefer Tested podcast is my personal rankings of the 450s for 2020. So like I mentioned, we wanted to do something a little different. I've been doing this a very long time, guys, and I go to these shootouts and I see the manufacturers and they're just like, Look, we're here for you guys. We're here to support you guys and do whatever it is that you guys need. But I could tell by looking in their faces that it's just time to try something different. I didn't really know what it was. Um, And, you know, I was at Dirt Rider for a long time. This shootout template is kind of old. Everyone's kind of doing the same thing. There's more media now, so... Now you have all these shootouts, you don't know who to believe, you don't know what to, you know, you're reading all this stuff or you're you're watching the stuff on YouTube and you're like, dang, I don't know which way to go because I've got all these opinions and these guys telling me this way and do you guys really purchase a bike from a shootout? That's what I like to know, you know. I still think shootouts are important, but I wanted to do something a little bit different this year just because... I think it's just time, honestly. We're all doing the same thing. I know Michael Lindsay has his shootout up. You guys can go see that on his YouTube channel. There's also a Vital MX shootout over there on uh, their website. Swap just put theirs up. And all of them have had the same result as far as a winner. Um, So I just feel like it was time to try to do something different. I wasn't the first one this year to go do it. I feel like when I started keyfering testing, I had to establish myself a little bit and do a shootout. And I know some of you guys really appreciated that and got back to me through email and says it's cool that you had a bigger rider, an older guy, or a, a lady involved. I really tried hard to get a wide spectrum of riders for all of you out there so you could relate to at least one person. Um, but this year, I thought, what the hell? Let's do a bracket-style shootout. So what do I mean by a bracket-style shootout? We're going to do it just like a tennis match. We're going to go over my rankings today on this podcast, one through six. And in that ranking, we're going to bracket these bikes. I'm going to hire three riders per bracket. So let's, uh, for example, one through six. So you have the winner versus six, two versus five, three versus four in the first rounds. The winner of each bracket move on to the next round. That's how we're going to do it. It's going to be a little bit of fun. It's going to be a shootout. It's going to be a little versus match, a little head-to-head brawl. I don't know, man. I'm just trying to spice this thing up a little bit, get you guys the information, but also have some more fun and do something a little bit different than what everyone else is doing. I hate following other people. I like doing things a little bit differently. I like to have fun with my stuff. I like to give you guys the most information. I'm trying hard over here just to think outside the box and do something a little different. Now, before you start yelling at me and saying, Kiefer, what about East Coast? I get it. I will do that. I am going to go back there. But I wanted to do this little bracket-style shootout before I went back East. I have so much stuff going on here back you know, on the West side of things that I just can't pack up and leave right now. So that's going to be postponed until the end of October. We will do that because I feel like East Coast Dirt, all you guys out there listening, 
that's missing in shootouts. That is one thing that is missing with all these media shootouts is we aren't going to your type of dirt back east. And simply put, we don't have that kind of dirt back back here in the West Coast. Uh, we can churn up our dirt as much as we want. Still is not as grabby and ruddy as as it is for you guys on the East Coast. So I'm looking to go to Trey Kennard's old spot in Oklahoma. Um, Greg Albertson does a lot of stuff back in Oklahoma. He's guided me a little bit. I know Oklahoma dirt's really tacky and ruddy. So without having me spend a ton of money and going all the way back to North Carolina or Florida or even up, you know, up north into like Ohio and things like that, Oklahoma's kind of a happy medium for me, and that's what I will be doing. But until then, we're going to do this bracket style, and we're going to showcase these bikes in a different manner starting next week. But I kind of wanted to give you guys a heads up and uh, get a feel for what you guys think as well. I just wanted to uh, throw this podcast out here and also give you the information that you're looking for, of course, with my rankings. I feel like my personal rankings is so far has been in line with some of these other shootouts. I've expressed uh, many, many things on the Pulp MX show about the winner of these shootouts and how the winner of, uh, let's just face it, the Yamaha should win all of these shootouts, if not most of them, for 2020. Simply put, that bike as a whole is really good. None of these other bikes are as good as a whole as the Yamaha. There's certain parts of each bike that are a little bit better, but then there's other parts that are not as good. So um, to me, the Yamaha is a complete package of a motorcycle in the 450 class. It does everything pretty well. I come from an OEM manufacturer production-based testing program. I was at KTM and did that. I was at Yamaha and did that. I was at Honda and did that. I know how to set up a bike for at least the average consumer. And honestly, guys, I'll be straight up with you. When I try to set up my own bikes, it's tougher for the things that I want personally. Um, Flashback to these two nationals that I did this year. I was looking for more comfort all the way around because I simply have that production-based mindset where I'm like, man, I I need a little bit more comfort. Maybe this performance-based stuff isn't for me. I'm getting older and and I don't want it to be so stiff, and I understand that I can hit stuff harder, but man, it's just not a, a joy to ride this motorcycle. So I am wired to have a wide spectrum of a base setting for you guys out there when you set up these motorcycles. And every production-based tester out there, that's how you guys need to test, and that's how they should test. Um, I know there's a few out there that I know that, hey, when I go test – they get back to me and say, I really got to think about uh, Joe Blow, the average guy, maybe 200 pounds or 190 pounds, novice. Is this bike going to work for them? So these are all the thoughts that go through my head when I'm testing these bikes. I'm not necessarily looking for more holdup because I want it. I'm trying to say, oh, does this bike need more holdup? Because simply put, when Johnny Joe Blow gets on this machine, he's going to need that as well. So there's a lot of things that go on in production testing to make a bike great for a lot of people. It seems so in 2020, Yamaha did that very well. Yamaha won shootouts last year. I know it split a day with the Kawasaki. 
That seems to be no different for 2020. Both bikes are really good. But in this podcast, we're going to break down one through six in my rankings, why they're there, why they're ranked there, what they do good, what they do not do good. And I'll kind of tell you who each bike is for. We'll kind of break that down. And then we're going to put a ranking on them. And in that ranking, we're going to move those bikes off to next week into the bracket shootout. And we'll have a a little miniature dogfight between uh, all of these bikes. And we'll come out with a winner in bracket style. So it should be fun, should be different. And hell, if it doesn't work, fuck it. We'll go back to shootouts next year. I I thought, you know, what the hell? We might as well try something different. Have a little fun while trying to get you guys some quality information to make the right purchase. Again, please feel free. I'm an open book. I don't know any other media outlet out there that has this, but feel free to email me. Let me know if you guys have any questions about the bike. I'm happy to answer them no matter what ranking. Again, we always talk talk about this in the shootouts. We say every bike is good, you know, a matter it's a matter of going to your dealership what's the best deal i can't reiterate that enough none of these bikes are pieces of shit i don't care what sixth place or anything honestly for me two to fifth place two through fifth place could have been flip-flopped many times i spent to give you some criteria background here I went to Milestone with all these bikes. The Suzuki 450 was late to the game, so I had to play catch-up a little bit. But I managed to get to Milestone with all of these bikes once. Again, Milestone's jumpy, probably the one of the best dirt tracks that we have. I don't mean dirt tracks like motocross. You go at the motocross track. No, I mean, has the best dirt all around. Paula, Milestone has really good dirt. So I went there. And then I went to three different tracks near my home up in the High Des. For those of you guys aren't familiar with the area in the High Des, I have a little bit of everything. That's what's bitching about where I live. And this is is the reason why I live where I live. Yes, it's not the best looking spot. Yes, there's a lot of tweakers. Yes, people get stabbed. People get shot. But for what I do, dirt bikes, it is perfect. I can ride from my shop. I have a sand track. I have a hard pack track. And then I have a, an intermediate type track that has a bunch of hills. All of them are rough. There really isn't a smooth track near my house. Yes, it is dry. That is the reason why I went to Milestone with all these bikes to get some traction, to get some feeling, to get some rear wheel connection feeling, to try to judge all these machines But out of the four tracks that I have ridden, this is the best result that I could come up with. And if I could just do a shootout based out here by my house, I think honestly it would be the best thing because I don't think anyone else in the media world has been going to rough tracks like I have been the last couple years. Ever since I left Dirt Rider, I've been really testing a lot near my house on these bikes to see what they do. And I should have did this a long time ago when I was at Dirt Rider. I should have really focused in on one and went out to these tracks near my house because it really gives a suspension and chassis feeling that no other track here in the high desert really has. Trust me, I've been to a lot of tracks around these these parts in SoCal, and I always come back to the tracks near my house just because of the speed, the roughness of the track, the terrain, the dirt. It's an all-around good testing track. So... Um, this is how I came up with my ranking. 
It took a little bit longer than I expected because, honestly, let's face it, six bikes, one dude. I'm 43 years old. Holy shit. It's 100 degrees out. Man, I'm not the man I used to be. It takes me a little longer. So uh, I tried to get through this as quick as I could, but as efficient as I could while trying to tune these bikes as I go to see what they do. Of course, you guys know the word track toughness. Track toughness is basically how well each bike adapts to different styles of track. Do I have to really adjust the thing or does it adapt? Does it go from track to track without many adjustments? So this is all the things that I think about when I rank these bikes. So trust me, when I say I think a lot, sometimes too much when I rank these bikes. But I also want to really push this on you guys as well. Look, I am not the gospel of testing. I try to really tell you guys how much I do and the background that I come from so you guys can be rest assured. You, can, you guys can rest assured that I'm fairly good at this job. I'm not good at a lot of things, but I'm pretty damn good about testing. But hey, I may be not your cup of tea. I get it. There's all different kinds of media testing out there. If you like a shootout you know, and you like the normal way of doing things, there's plenty of that out there. I hate reading these comments on Instagram and these hate comms that are out there on other media sites. Look, there's so much information for dirt bikes, and I always tell people, look, I'm a fan of dirt bikes as well. I like reading shootouts. I will go to Vitals. I will go to MXAs. I will go to Michael Lindsay's. I'll go to dirt bikes. I'll go to swaps. I just like reading it. I already know what my rankings are, but I love dirt bikes in general, so I'm going to go to all of them. And I'm fairly certain that most of you out there listening to this just don't come to this podcast and say, okay, this is what it is. I'm, 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 I'm there. Kiefer said it. You know, That's all there is. I'm not going anywhere else. That's bullshit. I'm sure you're going to swaps. I'm sure you're going to Michaels. You want to look. You're a dirt bike fan. I get it. Hopefully, you guys listen to what I say and you believe in what I say so I can influence you on taking the right direction to get the right bike or part. That's why I'm here, right? Like I want you guys to trust me in the fact that I know what I'm talking about and you're going to go the right direction if I recommend something to you. I'm not going to recommend anything to you guys out there unless I know it works. Again, not to step on a soapbox here, but I don't take advertising money because I'm trying to get rich. I'm going to rake in the dough and then I'm going to bounce out of this job. Look, I could take a lot more advertising dollars if I wanted to, but I don't believe in the product. So the people that are on this show, I really believe in and they're good stuff. So when I speak from the heart, like if you trust Jody, go to Jody. Go to the people that you trust to really make your purchasing decision. There's a lot of us out there now. I'm not saying I'm the end-all, be-all, but taking everyone's uh, shootout into account when you listen to these stuff, when you listen to these things. So I don't know. I just, I hear a lot of feedback from other people and a lot of hate. I'm just like, dude, there's so much out there. We should be grateful for how much stuff we have out there that we can ingest. And there's just a lot of dirt bike information to help with you guys out there that need the knowledge to get it. So I don't know, man. I just think it's funny. Sometimes people just like to complain. So, all right, let's get with it here. Rank one through six. Let's just start from the bottom up, all right? Let's go six to one. 
Sixth place for me is the Suzuki. Not shocking, like I said. The winner and sixth place are clear-cut in these shootouts, I would assume. I would assume Suzuki will get sixth place in every shootout this year. That is not a hate com. That is not a, a backhanded uh, slap in the face to Suzuki. Look it, let's face it. Why is Suzuki sixth place? I hate to use the word last because it's still a good bike. No, it's not sixth place because it has a Kickstarter. I honestly, for me personally, I don't give a shit if it has a Kickstarter or electric start. Yes, e starts are wonderful, they're nice. If you have a bad hip, if you're older, it's nice to push a button. I get it. But look, if this bike frame, if this bike's frame was a little bit less rigid, uh, it had a better shock, just those two things right there would propel it up the ranks. Forget about the e-start. Just those two things only. It is a stiff-feeling motorcycle. That shock off-throttle causes me headaches. I spent more than a couple days going to these tracks from my garage here and trying to dial this thing in. It's tough. And although I did get a direction, which will, will have those settings up on my website, it is tough to figure out. When I'm off-throttle hitting some bumps... It wants to release and kick. I try to slow it down. It packs. It's harsh. So similar to an air fork where I have a very narrow window of comfort, this is what this shock feels like to me on the Suzuki. If you want to do yourself a favor, you're a Suzuki guy, go purchase a 250 RMZ shock. Stick it on your 450. Be happy. Thank me later. So much better. That KYB shock on the 250 I bet you <laughs> I bet you a lot of money because I think the 250 shock is oversprung. You put that on a 450 and it's probably pretty damn good. So uh, those two things right there makes the Suzuki get sixth place for me. Look, the engine is pretty good. It's not the most hard-hitting engine out there. It doesn't have a lot of excitement, but it's pretty easy to ride. You stick the lean coupler in it, it wakes it up a little bit. Of course, it's not the best cornering machine like it used to be, but it's pretty damn good. Uh, I would say probably second or third in the class for cornering. And like we always say, we say this on the Pulp Show. I'm sure other media outlets say this stuff. For, I would say, 80% of the consumers that are purchasing motorcycles, this RMZ450 is great. I have a guy named Dallas Dunn. He's just a normal construction guy, works his ass off. He purchased the Suzuki. He loves it. I get it. I'm trying to split hairs over here and rank these things. It's tough to do, and sometimes it sucks, but hey, you have to do it. And just because it doesn't work that well when the track gets rough is the reason why it's sixth place. If you go to my website, you can read the things that you can fix on this bike. If you have a 19 or a 20 RMZ 450, there's things you can do to help yourself. Makes it a lot better. Joe Aloff, my test rider, we have a, a top five things to do to this bike, and it made it so much better. He has a KTM in his garage. He preferred, after these modifications were done to the Suzuki, he liked the yellow bike better. Imagine that. Yes, $6,500? $7,000 for an RMZ450? Holy shit, are you kidding me? Let's go. Let's buy that sucker. Put some modifications on it. And two to $3,000, you have a bike that's not sixth place. 
and it's fun to ride, and it's reliable. I hate hearing things about Suzuki that are saying it's a piece of shit, it's unreliable. That's false. It is reliable. It lasts. Joe is hard on dirt bikes. It did not blow up. It was fine. We're good. So trust me in the fact that all of these bikes in this shootout ranking, if you take care of them, most of the time, I'm not saying 100%, most of the time they will take care of you. There are some anomalies out there where uh, I've heard 250 uh, you know, Yamahas, for example. I know this is not a 250 shootout, but a 250 Yamaha has some timing chain issues. Uh, I've heard a Yamaha 450, oh, the crank. Look, shit happens. Use good oil, change your air filters, and most of the time you'll be safe. So just know that when you purchase a new motorcycle. Uh, so yeah, sixth place for the Suzuki. Who is this bike for? We like to do this on this podcast because uh, I think it gives a direction, and I like to have direction in my life. It helps me. So for me, this bike is for the working man. Honestly, if you're a hardworking dude, don't got a lot of money, uh, you've got a lot of bills, but hey, I need a stress reliever. I need a motorcycle. I haven't had a motorcycle in a long time. Look it, you can't deny Suzuki's um, less expensive ways. You can go get a Suzuki at a local dealership and walk and drive out of there smiling from ear to ear because you have a brand new bike and you're about to go ride dirt bikes with your homies and have a great time for $7,000. Meanwhile, your homeboy next to you is loading his bike up in the truck and it's ten dollars to $11,000 and both y'all are the same fucking speed. It doesn't matter when you're like that, all right? It doesn't matter. You're, you're having a good time. You're a weekend warrior. You don't have that much money. Suzuki's fine, people. Don't let all of us out there say, oh, it's sixth place. Nope, not going to buy that. No, it's still very, very good. It's just splitting hairs with these shootouts here that we have to tell everything. You know, everything about the bike, it has to be known. So, and we have to rank them. So there you have it, sixth place. If you're a working man, save yourself some money. Go have a good time on this RMZ 450. There are going to be some settings up on my website. If you guys haven't checked those out, go to keyforinktesting.com. There are some settings up there for the 2019. And, of course, what we're doing for 2020, we're going to get you all baseline settings for every single motocross machine that is available to you. So you, all you guys have to do is pick up your dirt bike, turn the clickers. You have the numbers right there in front of you on my website, and you can go out and ride, check the sag, blah, blah, blah. Boom. Easy. Peasy. Lemon squeezy. That's what we're trying to do for you all right here. Fifth place for me, guys, this was tough. Like I said, second through fifth was super hard for me to rank. But fifth place for me, CRF 450R. Simply put, why did it rank so far down? It's down for me simply because of the chassis rigidity. I've been complaining about this a couple years. This is no surprise. If the track is soft, deep, ruddy, dude, this bike is not fifth. This po- the bike is probably second, honestly. Uh, at Milestone, it was pretty damn good. I felt like it was uh, a little bit higher in the ranking when I left Milestone versus the tracks when I rode them out here. But combining the scores for me each day, ended up getting a fifth place because when I try to push and I try to ride when it's rough, the chassis is stiff. It's rigid. It deflects. It's tough for that thing to stay planted. I like a planted machine. I like to be able to go fast 
and be able to hit stuff without feeling a little bit sketchy or scared. Again, older guy, I want to feel safe. And when I feel safe, I ride my best. And that's where, to me, the Honda lacks in a little bit. Now, let me paint you a picture here. I'm not saying that you're going to hop on this bike and it's going to twitch and it's going to rip the handlebars out of your arms. No. I'm just saying, let's say you're going through a corner, you come out of that corner, and you're going down a straightaway, and you hit some square edge bumps on some decel bumps, and the bike just feels firm. It wants to do deflect a little bit, and it doesn't want to dive into that next corner as smoothly as these bikes in front of it. That was the tough spot. It was, for me, it wasn't really that hard to ride until after the 15-minute mark. I could really ride this thing really good up until 15 minutes. If you're in shape, hey, more power to you, man. You're, you're in better shape. You're a heavier guy. You want a lot of power. This Honda is right for you. I'm 170 pounds. I rely on being smooth on a motorcycle, and it really takes a lot of energy slash concentration for me to put this bike where I want it. Again, probably if this thing wins anything in the shootout, it's the engine. As much as I praise the Yamaha, the Honda engine is a race engine. KTM says ready to race. I call bullshit. I'm saying Honda's engine is ready to race. I wouldn't screw with it. I think I went too much when I raced these two nationals. I wish I probably could have... I say I shouldn't say I wish. I think I would have done better if I would have had a stock engine because that has plenty, plenty of power. 99% of you do not need any more than what the Honda has. 98% of you need to stick that sucker in map two. A lot of these guys at these intros were like, I'm map three, bro. I'm in map three. Bullshit. You're in map three. That's too much. Honda changed some of the mapping, but for me, map three, still too touchy in corners. I'm a map two guy. Even at Milestone, it was tacky. I was map one or map two. I was never in map three. And I feel like I can ride a dirt bike fairly decent, but man, this thing will come out of corners in a hurry and get you from point A to point B. And this is, I'll tell you a little story. I was at Milestone, second bike, I was the, um, it was the second bike to get on during the day. Uh, I rode the KTM, and then I get on this Honda, and no lie, when I was coming out of a corner going down a straightaway, my eyes watered a little bit, and I'm thinking, what the hell? Is something wrong with my goggles? There's air getting there? No, dude. Like, I felt like I was going mock speed on this thing when I opened the throttle because it was getting the power to the ground and getting me down to that next corner ASAP. The thing's fast. That's probably the most fun about this bike is its excitement. When you get on it, and a lot of guys do. Like I know a lot of kids slash supercross riders, privateers like this bike because they don't got to do anything to the engine because it's that good. This Honda needs some help in the chassis region up near the head tube. It's a little bit stiff. Um, for 2019, they changed some frame um, issues, which for me, it got a little bit better, but still not where it needs to be to win a shootout for me at least. It very well could win this bracket shootout. Again, I'm using all different kinds of riders. But for me, I want a little bit of a smoother roll-on delivery, more connection when the track gets rough, and 
a better planted feel for straight line stability. The thing corners like a dream. If you have problem with technique, if you're not a very good cornering guy, Honda is your bike. On paper, it is heavy, but not when you ride it. When you ride this bike, it feels light. Some of that has to do with the engine peppiness slash free feeling, but I think the way the chassis is made, a little bit stiffer, the thing corners like a dream. Like I feel like I can lay into my corner really good, um, especially when I spent a lot of time on that thing two months ago, three months ago when I was racing the Nationals. I felt like my cornering improved a lot just because of this bike alone. So this bike will help you corner. It just may be a little bit tough for you guys to ride out there after the corner. Can you set it up? Of course. That's the beauty of, of testing. That's the beauty of uh, setting up bikes. The old saying goes, you're only as good as what you try. So there will be some baseline settings for this bike that I've experienced that will go up on my website that we'll put up here in the next week or two. So that way for you guys out there that have a 2020 machine, I will give you some suspension guidelines. And also there's a couple chassis tricks that I won't divulge in right on this podcast, but that you can do. I know engine mounts are all the rage right now. Um, I'm not necessarily a huge fan of engine mounts on this chassis. I know some guys like it. For me, it helps in one area, it hurts in another. So for those of you guys listening out there, you'll have to do to decide on where on the track that you need help, and maybe those those engine mounts can help that situation. But in stock form, Honda's on the right track. I feel like in the next year or two, we really could be talking about moving this thing up the ranks. And I honestly don't think it's doing that bad in shootouts right now. It's it's a really good machine. Again, I really want to reiterate, second through fifth are all so freaking close. This thing could have been second. It No problem. Like, they're lumped in really, really close. So uh, the Honda's a great machine. There are some things uh, for me like it rated it down as well. The clutch, I'm not a huge fan of the clutch. The clutch fades pretty quick. It has a harder pull. Um, again, I I like to have a less pitching sensation off throttle. This thing will dive a little bit um, in 2020. Even though they tried to remedy some of that, I still feel like some pitching is still there. When you stiffen up the fork, you get a little bit of a harsher feeling in the fork. So setup is very important. And to me, track toughness on the Honda is not the best. So that's why it ranked fifth. Commercial time, guys. Stay tuned. Listen to these commercials. Get a discount code. Save yourself some money. Enjoy your life. Ride your dirt bike. Commercial time. Thanks to the guys over at 6D Helmets. That's right there on board with the KieferInkTesting.com. Kiefer Tested Podcast. We thank them for joining us. You have a street bike, a dirt bike, or do you pedal? You have a mountain bike. Head over to 60helmets.com. Check out the full line of helmets they offer. I'm sure they have a helmet for you. Hey, I get questions all the time. Kiefer, what helmet would you choose if you could pick one to buy? If you're going to spend your own money, Kiefer, where are you going? While there are a lot of helmets that are safe out there, okay? I do feel the safest in a 6D helmet. I've had many crashes in my ATR1. I've had a couple in my ATR2. And it has done its job. It's advanced ODS technology. It's race proven. 
I'm telling you guys. And it's light. The new ATR2, it comes in at 1,480 grams. It's fully rebuildable. Very cool colorways. I trust the guys over at 60 Helmets. Maybe you guys should too. Hit me up over at chris at keyforinktesting.com. Maybe get a special discount code if you want to get a 60. So please, guys, go check them out. 60 Helmets. Hit me up. Tell me how you like yours. And if you don't have one, maybe go get one. Thanks, 60. Have you guys checked out bloodlubricants.com? If you haven't, bludlubricants.com. Go check them out. Three new series of oils, Blood Power Sport Series, the Blood Racing Pro Series, and the Blood Racing Pro Elite Series. I have Michael Allen here with me. We've been doing two different types of oils in our test bike. Mike has been doing the Blood Power Sport Series. Everything going good there? Everything's going good. I use it in all our test bikes, the ones that I prep and maintain. And uh, it runs a little cooler than production oils. And uh, I know you've done some testing with that. Yeah, so basically before Jeff and the guys came on board, I had to check legitimacy of this stuff because um, I didn't want no crap involved in keyframe testing. Um, honestly, tried it. Was very surprised about the oil. Did some temperature readings. It was a little over 30 degrees cooler in my YZ450F compared to some other oils I've been running. So the stuff is good. They sponsor over 250 racers from Enduro, Enduro Cross, Hair Scrambles, UTVs, Supercross now. They got some Supercross guys. So go check them out, bloodlubricants.com. Use the discount code KEFER. And get some percentage off your oils. They'll ship them to you. Probably get a hat or two. You know, Jeff's a good dude. Go check him out. Bloodlubricants.com. The one thing that bums me out about racing moto is waiting around all day just to do two or four motos. I don't want to be sitting at the track all day and have three hours in between my motos. Well, you know what? Old Timers Association has been around a long time. And the guys from Oregon Old Timers have come on board with this podcast and want me to talk to you about their series, very cool series. I've raced them before. They have 20-minute motos, long motos. Usually you're done by 3 o'clock. You're in and out. You get to race, go home, finish your chores, spend time with your family, go do stuff with your wife, whatever it is. It's a fun, family-filled environment there. They have races all over. It's not just in Oregon. They have races in California, Glen Helen, Montana, Richland, Washington. They go to Hangtown. They go to Washington again in Washougal, which is very cool. And, of course, they go to British Columbia, Boise, Idaho, even Edmonton, Canada, and Fernley, Nevada. You can check out the series at OregonOldTimers.com, and you will even see me at a couple rounds this year. So check them out. Hey, Heather. Hey, Chris. Did you know that every two-stroke KTM and Husqvarna come with a Vertex piston in the engine from the factory? No, I did not. 65 years ago, Vertex piston was founded in a small technical workshop in northern Italy. Today... Because of the renowned reputation for exceptional quality, Vertex is an OEM supplier to KTM, Husqvarna, and more exotic brands like Beta, Gas Gas, and TM. No matter which brand of bike you ride with, when it's time to go ride or time to rebuild your top end, Vertex Pistons will have your engine performing better than new. To see their full range of two-stroke and four-stroke pistons in replica, high-compression, or GP-style configurations, Visit them at VertexPistons.com or stop in your local dealer and ask for a Vertex Piston Kit today. And if you guys want a discount code, hit me up, Chris, at KeeferInkTesting.com, and I've got one for you. Save some money. VertexPistons.com. Head over to FirePowerParts.com. Get yourself a battery, or how about a chain? Less expensive chains, but with that high-quality strength. Trust me. 
I've ran the crap out of these chains. Good chains, great batteries. They even got oil now. Go check them out, firepowerparts.com. And you can get that stuff over at RockyMountainATVMC.com. Thank me later. Hey, it's getting cooler outside. Go to FMFRacing.com and look at the apparel section. Hoodies, hats, shirts. Use the code KEEFER19. Save yourself some money. Look cool. Especially if you're going back to school. You got to be cool and wear FMF hoodie. That's where it's at. KEEFER19. FMFRacing.com. Do it. Thanks for hanging tough, listening to the commercials. We're back. Sit down, enjoy yourself, and get the info that you all want. All right. Moving along. Fourth and third. I'm just going to lump these guys together. Husky is fourth. Third place is the KTM. Why did the KTM beat out the Husky? This was really tough for me because both of these bikes are good. I freaking purchased a Rockstar Edition. You guys know this if you guys follow this podcast. I went out and bought an $11,000 Husky because I liked it so much. So the KTM edges out the Husqvarna in stock form because two things. It has a little bit more RPM response down low. On low end, it has a little bit more excitement. And the suspension holds up better for me in the stroke than the Husky. If you're a little bit of a slower rider, uh, vet guy, you're probably going to like the Husqvarna suspension more because it's built around that type of rider it's built for comfort not performance when i really tried to push the wp aer fork and the wp shock on the husqvarna it just was always low feeling uh it had a lot of wallow i actually had to add a lot of air to the fork to really dial it in and when i did do that it became a little bit harsher of a feel so For me, it's simply a very close race between third and fourth, but the KTM edges out the Husqvarna just because I think if I'm in third gear rolling corners, it likes that more than the Husqvarna. Again, it has a better recovery. The fork action is a little bit stiffer, probably not as much comfort as that Husqvarna, but I can push it a little bit harder. So again, that is something where you guys have to think about when I talk about this, where you guys have to... um, Think about how you guys ride. If you're trying to get better as a rider and push the the envelope a little bit, maybe that KTM fork suits you better. If you're just out there, hey, man, I want to have a good time. I want to have some comfort. I really don't give a shit if I get better or not. I just want to go ride motocross and have a good time. Husqvarna might be the way to go because you're getting some more comfort and you're getting a little bit of a pleasure ride in that decel bump, acceleration bump area. Both of these um, these settings that I came up with are similar. Obviously, the air pressure setting is different from the KTM and the Husqvarna, the final air pressure setting that I came up with. But KTM and Husqvarna really focused in for 2020 to separate themselves in the suspension area to cater for which rider. Again, KTM was catering for the faster, uh, more performance-based rider. Husqvarna is looking for that comfort vet type of guy where, hey, I want a little bit of a cushy feel. I want to soak up that acceleration bump. I want to soak up that diesel bump, and that's what they're looking for. I will say this. As weird as it sounds, that subframe on the Husqvarna is more compliant than, uh, than that KTM. When I do ride these tracks out here that have uh, – there's one specific track that doesn't have hills – 
that is just pretty flat, lots of corners, but tons of acceleration bump and a lot of decel chop. To me, the Husqvarna works better in that area. It's when I start getting some hills and I start getting some angles on the track where it's starting to dive too much and it upsets the chassis off throttle. If your track locally is pretty flat and has some corners and has a lot of uh, braking bumps and acceleration chop, I feel like the compliancy of that subframe on the Husqvarna and the suspension will work better for you and that easier, smoother delivery of the Husqvarna I think will be better. It's when I got to hills and started pushing is when the Husqvarna really started getting upset. The chassis didn't want to be as uh, compliant because I think the fork was always low. Again, when I tried to raise it up, it got harsh. There's always that small window with those air forks. Although they have gotten better, they are not a spring fork feel. I think I've only met two people in the past mm, three and a half years that have said, Kiefer, I like an air fork better than a spring fork. You just don't see them. They're an endangered species out there. Air fork lovers, endangered. We're not going to kill them. They're still out there. But I'm telling you guys, there's not many of you out there because, simply put, coil springs has just more comfort for the average consumer. Consumer. <laughs> average consumer. If KTM and Husqvarna managed to do away with their air fork, okay, they went linkless for a long time, and a lot of people say, hey, they're never going to go to linkage because they've been pushing you know, PDS stuff for a long freaking time, Kiefer. Well, they went away with that. We're back with linkage. So KTM, Husqvarna guys out there listening, all of you, uh, you guys in Austria, hello, I'm Chris. Please go back to Coil Springs. Your bikes are going to be so much better. Yes, you will add two pounds to your bike, but it's okay. You will still be the lightest bike out there. It's fine. Let's get some comfort back in that front end. It's fine. Yes, the steering will be a little bit heavier. Yes, side-to-side movement will be a little bit lazier. It's okay. It'll calm that bike down. It'll get into the corners better. It'll have more front-end traction. It'll be more planted. So many benefits to going to a coil spring fork. If you guys have a KTM or Husqvarna, I just did a WP exact, um, exact test that's up on my website. Don't have that much money? I get it. Get, I think, $1,500 will get you a conversion kit. Spring, put that thing in. Live your life. Be happy. Don't come home pissed off because your air fork sucked. Again, I think these bikes are very good. I went out and bought one. I love riding a KTM. A lot of you guys saying, oh, Kiefer, all you ride is an orange bike. Well, there's a lot of benefits to these bikes. They feel light on the track, and that's why they're ranked third and fourth. No matter what, and even though they have a smooth power delivery, both of them do, Husqvarna is a little bit smoother, has a little bit more top end than the KTM, but they're easy to ride. I talk about this on the Pulp Show. We did a Racer X podcast that you'll listen to as well with Rich Taylor. I'm deceived by the power on this KTM and Husqvarna because I can roll it inside, and the bike itself is pretty quiet. Not a lot of, a lot of a loud noise coming out of that muffler. And I roll the throttle on thinking, oh, I better get in. I better really get into it because I need to clear this double out of a corner. I OJ it by 15 feet. It's deceiving because it has so much rear wheel connection. There's a lot of it there, guys. Embrace it. Like it. 
Trust me, your lap times will thank you. Your body will thank you. Just because something seems exciting underneath you, you know, doesn't mean it's better for you to go faster on it. Yeah, it might be exciting for the first 15 minutes, right? But after that, it's going to be a handful to hang on. This KTM is easier to ride for a long time. A lot of other test riders out there that I've spoken to appreciate that. The ones that really know what they're talking about really appreciate the connection feel that the white and the orange bike have. That's what I love about it. Simply put, you can put a Vortex on these things, and it's insane. My KTM that I have in the garage that's not the you know test bike, for if they shoot out test bike, the other one, I can go up Mount St. Helens faster than any other bike in my garage, simply from a ignition change. Mapping change, boom. So much connection going up that hill. It's so fast and so connected and easy to ride. It puts a smile on my face because it's like, wow. It doesn't even feel like I'm going fast. I could ride smooth, and my lap times are showing that I'm a second faster because it's just easy to ride. And that's what that steel frame can do for you guys out there. But give it time to break in. A lot of emails come at me and say it feels stiff. You're right. It does feel stiff. Give it 10 hours. Let it break in. Let it stretch out a little bit. KTM and Husqvarna went to that stiffer frame a couple years ago. Uh, I remember in 2018... On the old frame, I had 50 hours on a KTM 450 SXF. Felt like a roach. Felt like a tank. Felt wallowy and, and flexy. It was, it was bad. Well, at 50 hours on this new frame, they don't feel that bad. So reliability is better. No, you're not going to break your steel frame. I see these YouTube dudes saying, oh, look at the orange pumpkin. It broke a frame. Dude, please don't believe everything you see on YouTube. I tell my son this all the time. Go to someone that rides dirt bikes a lot and takes care of their bikes. Get their opinion. And I guarantee you it's a lot different than what you see on, on our social media and YouTube. So um, KTM and Husqvarna are in the mix, honestly. Uh, the reason why they didn't get the top two simply was because of comfort. These other two bikes ahead of it had more comfort, especially when you want to go fast, a better planted feel. Um, but if you guys like to corner, like to feel a light feel, this KTM and Husqvarna is a great bike, and it feels really easy to ride. I recommend a lot of older guys that were scared to get on a 450, I recommend them to a Husqvarna or a KTM because even though it's a 450, it's not a gnarly hit of power. There's not so much there that you're scared of it. Like, holy shit, I'm scared to ride it because there's too much. It's not going to wear you out. So I do like the fact that that 450 is friendly for the less skilled rider. I like that. And I also like Brembo brakes. I love them. Every bike should come with Brembo brakes. Awesome brakes. Hydraulic? Hmm. I could take it or leave it. I'm not... I'm sold on it to the fact that the KTM and Husqvarna clutches last me longer than a Yamaha or a, a Cowie, or a Honda clutch. I can go 15 to 16 hours on one of those clutches and not change the plates. I have to change the plates on all the other bikes in about 10 hours. And I'm not a clutch abuser. I am simply a clutch dragger. So I modulate my power with the clutch if I'm coming out of a corner instead of, and I start to wheelie. Instead of rolling off the throttle, I'll fan the slip the clutch a little bit 
to bring that front end down. I think I'm just constantly dragging the lever. That's on me. But then again, I'm giving you guys some feedback here. And that Husqvarna and KTM clutch, they do uh, last a longer time. Both bikes are pretty narrow. I know the shrouds are different when you sit on the bike. I like a Husqvarna bar much better than that KTM bar. That neck and bar is a piece of trash. The Pro Taper is the way to go. I went to SX Race Pro Taper because I want a little bit taller of a bend. But if you guys are in the realm of 5.9 to 5.7, you're going to love the stock Husqvarna bar. I would cut that thing down a little bit to 804 millimeters instead of 811. So you guys can do that. But ergonomics are comfortable sitting on the bike. The Husqvarna seat will eat your ass up more than the KTM seat. So just know that. Um, Again, very reliable bikes. I had a battery go out in my KTM, which is very rare. Honestly, I've never had a battery go out on my KTM, but just recently it did die. We replaced it, started right up, so maybe that was a fluke thing. Like I said, shit happens sometimes, guys. Don't freak out. Doesn't mean the bike's a piece of shit. Just sometimes things happen. So, again, third place KTM, fourth place Husqvarna. Great bikes, fun to ride, easy to ride. Let's just get some spring forks from those things. Second place coming in for me was the KX450, just like last year. Nothing has changed on this Kawasaki. I really wish they would have gone to a heavier fork spring at least to balance this thing out. That is what this bike is lacking. Two things it's lacking, and this is the reason why the Cowie didn't win for me. Fork is a little bit divey and soft, and the engine is simply not as strong and usable as the Yamaha, which is the winner, of course. Kawasaki, though, nailed it when it comes to frame absorption. That bike is probably the best bike to ride at Glen Helen. Yamaha is probably right near it, but when the track gets hammered and trashed and jacked up, similar to these tracks next to my uh, house here in Asperia, straight line stability is unmatched. The thing doesn't move. You can go fast. It never does anything unexpected. It'll get you from corner to corner in the best overall manner, I like to say, its mannerisms are so thoughtful and nice. It's so caring, that frame is. (laughs) It's so easy to ride. Uh, Cowie has done an amazing job with this machine. They've come a long way, especially, God, with those god-awful forks that they have back in the day. Um, Kawasaki has always been near the front in frame feel. So I will say that that is not a surprise, but now with the added Showa spring fork, now we have an hydraulic clutch, now we have a little bit more power, we have some more excitement. A lot of these things um, contributed to making this bike a second-place machine. So I like this bike. I spent a lot of time on it at Glen Helen before I did this little uh, comparison shootout uh, at my tracks and at Milestone. I really liked how comfortable I felt in uh, in a quick in a quick time. Like it usually takes me a little bit of time to really sort Glen Helen out to go fast to know where I'm going. I really like to know the lay of the land, so to speak, before I really start sending it. But within 30 to 40 minutes, man, I felt really comfortable on this bike, and I could get into these little shallow ruts that Glen Helen is known for. If you guys are familiar with Glen Helen. You know how shiny and hard pack it can get later in the day. And this is where the Kawasaki really likes to be ridden. Two o'clock Glen Helen-ish time. 
the Kawasaki shines. I can get right into these little shallow ruts easy because the frame absorbs it really nice coming into the corner, all these bumps. And I have good, I'm not saying the best, I have a good amount of front end traction. Yes, to me, the bike still feels long. That is one of its downsides when you're going into a corner. I feel like entering the corner is pretty good. Mid-corner does feel a little bit long. Exits are okay. Uh, I have some settings up on my site that help this, but in stock form, it's one of the easier bikes to ride. I like that it has on 0-10% to throttle opening, has some excitement. There is some pop there. I can get over some stuff right out of a corner. If there's some square edge stuff right out of a corner, or if I need to pop over a double right out of a corner, that RPM response is there with the Kawasaki. Yes, it doesn't have an easy power tuner app like Yamaha does, but it has some couplers you can mess with, and it still has a calibration tool, Kawasaki Cells, that you can mess with. I've messed with some mapping. Dude, it makes a huge difference on what type of tracks you ride, what type of rider you are. We created some maps through that up on my website. There's a lot of options with this bike. For me, it, the rider cockpit is a little bit better than a Yamaha. The Yamaha is a little bit more cramped, even uh, still with this new 2020 setting that Yamaha came up with. The Kawasaki, even with the 7.8 spars and the old school 971 bend. I'm not a big fan of that bend, but it works on this bike. I like this cockpit, and I have a lot of room to move around. I've mentioned this to other guys and six foot two, six foot three guys that have these bikes. I talk to them at the track. They like this cockpit. They can move around. They don't feel like they're a big ass human on a bike. So Kawasaki did its homework when it comes to a rider triangle as well. We just need a little bit more holdup, Kawasaki. We need a little bit more front end holdup. Has a lot of comfort, but it rides low. Again, and then when you try to go one to two clicks in on this bike, it gets a little bit harsher of a feel on the fork. Again, track toughness is not as good as the winner. Pretty close, but just not as good. Very touchy to each click. So be forewarned, when you guys do get this bike and you guys are clicking around on your fork, just know one click on the shock or the fork makes a pretty big difference. Showa is well known for this. Anything Showa related, one click is a lot. I can feel a lot from one click. KYB, most of the time on the KYB stuff, I can go two clicks and it's about the same as a one click situation in the Showa world. So just know one click makes a huge difference, but going a little bit too far makes that bike a little bit of a harsher feel and it's harder to get in corners. So just know this. There is a lot of settings, like I said, over on my site that you can read and, and, and go over. Um, but I also want to mention just the, the overall, like for me, like we talked about earlier in this podcast, how much comfort a bike can get where you can push. I feel like I can push on this bike and it rewards that uh, once you have a good baseline setting. I should add that in there. It rewards that. Um, to a rider that wants to achieve a little bit of a higher level of performance in his riding, or her riding, I should say. I like that. I also like that it accommodates just the average Joe. You get on it, 
Um, I let my other test rider, Joe Aloff, again, he rode Suzuki. He's on a KTM. I let him ride this bike at Glen Helen. He, his text to me was the exact words. He's like, I've never felt so comfortable at Glen Helen until I rode this bike. I rode this bike, and I immediately felt the most comfortable I've ever been. So that said something to me. He's ridden a lot of bikes. He's raced many years, and he's ridden Glen Helen a lot of laps. So for him to feel that comfortable, that quick, coincides to what I felt, and I know that this bike is well-built for riders that want to improve their riding. So I reward that in a shootout. I feel like, hey, why shouldn't you be rewarded for a bike that you can just go cruise around and have fun on and it's still good? And then it rewards the guys that want to push and be a better rider. That's awesome. That's what you want in a motorcycle, 450, 250, 125, or whatever it is. You want a bike that complements a wide range of riders. So Team Green, good job. Let's get that fork up a little bit. Maybe make a little bit more top-end power. And I think you guys are, are right there. So uh, to go off the green accents, I like that. I like an all-green look. I think the bike looks really good. Uh, if we're talking about um, reliability, so far so good on this Kawasaki. I will say... There is a clutch modification that we mentioned on my website that you guys can do. I notice under load coming out of a corner while putting my finger on the clutch, that clutch lever will start to move in by itself when you're hard on the throttle in deeper tilled soil. It's slipping. The, the clutch can't handle the power coming out of corner when it's under load. So, a couple things here. Either A... Kiefer, suck it. I don't feel it. Keep living your life. Don't listen to me. If you don't feel it, don't worry about it. But for me, I'm very, very conscious of clutch actuation and feel. And for me, that that clutch slips a little bit. Now, you can, uh, like I said, disregard what I said. Or you can go put uh, another fiber from Kawasaki inside there. Take the, the judder spring out. That is also on my website. You can see that. We talk about that. I give you the part number. It's all right there. No need to email me. It's all right there. Just take the time and really just browse around Kiefering testing. Please. It helps me. It'll help you. And I don't have to answer that email that you're going to send me. So, uh, yeah. So if you guys feel that, that's an easy fix, cheaper way to go. Looking to... To spend a little bit of money, the Henson clutch system on the Kawasaki is is awesome. I had some experience with this last year. I approve of it. It works well. That slipping feeling doesn't happen, and the bike actually pulls better out of corners because it's hooking up. It's not slipping. So the performance is actually improved. Just it's a little pricey. You're looking about $1,000 for that complete kit. Lots of money. But again... A fiber costs 25 bucks, 50 bucks. You know, between there, you can get a gasket, take that jutter spring out, stick the fiber in, boom, bam, 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 you're done. What I will say about putting that fiber in and taking the jutter out, the actuation of the lever of the clutch will be a little bit um, more narrow. So the the clutch on the Kawasaki is very linear, very easy to feed. I like that feeling. But when you're sticking that, that extra fiber in there and taking that judder out, the, the length of the pull is still the same, but the actuation and when you go do starts is shorter. So just know that. 
And if it doesn't bother you, that's fine. It doesn't bother me that much. It's just something that I noticed that I like to relay to you guys out there. Um, so yeah, so Kawasaki second place for me. I'm sure you're going to see that a lot in the shootouts as well. Kawasaki did a great job. Again, Yamaha's winning, guys. Number one bike, Yamaha YZ450F. It split days last year, like I said, with the Kawasaki. But for me, the changes that Yamaha made, honestly, I'll be straight up with you guys. When I first wrote the first day, I was like, hmm, yeah, it's, it's pretty good. I'm not saying I'm not jumping up and down yet. And I mentioned this on the Racer X pod. Going from the 2017 to the 2018 YZ450, I was like, hmm, it's, it's, it's okay. So I wasn't getting my hopes up that much going from a 19 to 20. When I read all the things that they changed going from the 19 to the 20, I was like, I wasn't getting my hopes up. Went out and rode it. Milestone. Okay, I can appreciate it. I can feel it. There's more connection to the rear wheel. The overall broadness of the engine power is more usable. I like that. There's more power there. It's easy to ride. Of course, it has an easy Yamaha Power Tuner uh, app that's super easy to do. My dumbass can do it. If you have an iPhone, you have a Droid or whatever, you can change your map to what you want. I create a map. There's a TP 3.0 map that's up on my website. Super easy to do. But it's I didn't really get to appreciate the changes until I rode Glen Helen, until I rode my tracks out here. I'm like, wow. Not only do I have a better engine feeling, but I also have a more planted chassis with added cornering capability. No, it's not going to outcorner a Honda. But I'm telling you guys this. It will get to that corner easier and also, you'll be able to set up for that corner way easier than you can a Honda because it's sticking to the ground. It's planted. It, how I can explain the Yamaha chassis versus a Honda chassis, if you drop a rock three feet up off the ground and drop it, and then you drop that same rock six feet up and drop it, it's just more of a thud, more of a hit, and that's what it's like. The three foot is a Yamaha, six foot is a Honda there's just more force on a Honda when you hit bumps. There's less force feeling coming through your, your feet and your arms on a Yamaha. The, the frame is super good for 2020, guys. Like, God, I didn't want to buy a motorcycle this year, and, I, and hopefully I don't, but it makes me want to go buy one and do some more racing. It makes me want to go race because it's easy to ride. And I raced last week on this thing at Glen Helen at a local race, Three out of four hole shots. Uh, granted, there's only 10 pros on the line, but these kids have built engines. The second motos came around. They've asked me, what did you do to your engine? I go, nothing, dude. It's a stock 2020. It's a stock pipe, stock everything, stock bars, stock grips. Thing rips, and it's easy. It's controlled. It's, it's hard for me to relay it to, to you guys through your speakers, okay? And I will try to do this. Coming out of corners, you have more real-wheel connection. Everyone's looking for that in the, in the world of four-stroke technology. But what is better also about this engine is going from the 19 to the 20, there's less engine braking. In 19, you had a lot of engine braking on this Yamaha YZ450F, which puts you front-end down, ass-end high, upset chassis, maybe didn't get you in the corner the right way. The valving changes that they did to the, the suspension, as well as the head changes that they did, created less friction, all right? So now we have less 
decel braking. We have less pitching off throttle. So when I roll into a corner and I'm chopping the throttle off, my bike has remained flatter than other bikes in the shootout. I'm not saying it's the end-all, be-all. It's you know looking like a factory bike. But in a production form, it's pretty damn balanced, guys. It has a nice blend of comfort and performance. I can overjump things. I can underjump things. It doesn't do anything that I don't want it to do. I'm not saying that it's all cotton candy, pink lemonade, and rainbows, right? Yes, it does feel a little wide. I was against you guys for a little while talking about the width. Measurement-wise, no, it's the same. But visually, I will give you guys this. It does feel a little fat. But only when you ride a KTM or a Husqvarna or a Honda that it does as the Yamaha feels wide. When I get on a Kawasaki Yamaha back-to-back, I don't feel the width difference. But, man, you really feel it if you're on a, on a KTM, Husqvarna, and a Honda, and you get on a Yamaha, you're like, oh, shit, the shrouds do feel wider. It took me literally 30 minutes to get on a, on a Yamaha and feel comfortable and go fast. I didn't notice the width problem. So for you guys complaining about that, you got to give it some time. To me, that erased from my mind immediately. It wasn't that big of a deal. I didn't notice it in corners. It didn't put my leg in an awkward position. Um, They moved the bars upward for 2020. So that bar mount is in the forward hole with the mount pointed back. I didn't like it. I tried to give it a go. The Yamaha boys really wanted me to try it and like it, and I disappointed them. I was like, I'm out. I don't like it. I went back to the rear hole, or the front hole, I should say, with the mount pointed forward. That, to me, puts me in a correct position in the corners to where my elbows aren't straight up and down, and I have nice leverage rolling these corners. I like that. It corners well. Leave the stock fork height if you're riding corner sandier tracks. If you're at Glen Helen, I dropped my fork a little bit. Helped a little bit, but honestly, <laughs> track toughness, man, this is the this its middle name. Yamaha YZ450F, track toughness because a lot of different tracks I rode on this bike barely changed anything. I think I didn't I want two clicks. So I went two clicks stiffer on the fork and I went two clicks stiffer on the shock. This is at my intro at Milestone, and I went too slower on the shock, left the sag alone. I went to all these tracks. I tried other things, but I always went back to my Milestone setting. Dude, it was unbelievable how well-rounded this machine is. I'm not going to sit here and give Travis Preston the credit because I really don't want to because he just gets a big head. But I think it really helps having a good test rider in the production-based form that can get the point across that was at a high level of racing that knows when he pushes it what a bike should do. So now, I will tell you guys this, your average guys out there, it has a little bit less cruising comfort. Where the 19, you could cruise it and had a lot of comfort. It moved in the stroke a lot. It, It was fairly comfortable. But when you started pushing the 19... It had a hinged feeling, uh, it, it moved too much, it had some pitching problems, but now the night, I'm sorry, the night of the 20 doesn't have those problems when you start to push it. So I feel like 
most of you will love the 2020. I get a lot of comments, hey, Kiefer, should I spend the money on a 20 or the 19? Absolutely for me, go to a 20. I like that feeling. It is a more planted feel. The bike has a little bit better front end traction. I'm not going to say the bike feels tons lighter. It does feel a little bit lighter because it revs freer. But to me, it lays in the corner nice. I love the cornering stability. I can't stress enough what that means. You're inside of a rut. There's some square edge, even some rocks inside of those ruts sometimes. Uh, the Honda lays in the corners probably the best, but also the cornering stability, once you're in the corner, you feel more of what's inside that rut versus the Yamaha. You're inside the rut on the Yamaha, I feel none of that shit. It's, if there's square edge, I don't feel it as much. If I win the Honda square edge, I feel that through the chassis. So for me, cornering stability is superb. It does a lot of things well. I feel like it fits a wide range of riders, heavy, small, uh, average size riders. It does a lot of things really good. So for me, the Yamaha wins in my personal ranking shootout. Again, Yamaha, Kawasaki, KTM, Husqvarna, Honda, and Suzuki. That is how we're going to bracket these suckers. So the Yamaha is going to face the Suzuki. The Kawasaki is going to face the Honda. And then the KTM is going to face the Husqvarna in the first round of this bracket shootout. Should be interesting. Should be fun. We will break it down with three riders. I will not be participating in this bracket style shootout because I'm giving you guys my rankings and my ranking, rankings are simply qualifying these bikes in the shootout so these other riders can rank them accordingly. So it's a different way of doing things. Going to be fun. Going to be different. Maybe some of you guys hate it. Maybe some of you guys will love it. But nonetheless, just know this. You will get as much information downloaded to your brain as you would as a normal shootout. If we did a normal shootout or we did this bracket style that information is going to still get to you, but we're just going to be comparing them one-on-one. -on -one. I like a little one-on-one -on -one action. It's fun. Let's do it. little battle royale. Let's really pinpoint what the Suzuki can do better than the Yamaha and vice versa. Let's really pinpoint what the Kawasaki does better than the Honda and vice versa. I like that. That's fun. That's different. I'm excited about doing that, and it takes me a lot to get excited sometimes because I've been around this damn sport so long. Let's do something different. It's awesome. I'm into it. Next week, we start this thing. Round one, Yamaha Suzuki, RM Army, Blue Crew, Team Green against Ride Red. Those are the two that we are doing next week. I will be doing podcasts on each of these battles, not articles. So you're going to have to get your information here in the podcast, I will be doing a wrap-up of a 450 shootout for a final article on keyforinktesting.com. But we will pick three different size riders, set the sag for the middle size rider in this battle royale, and they will have at it. Let's see the track toughness in each bike, how well three different types of riders could go ahead and judge a one-on-one head-to-head -on -one -head battle. That's what we're doing, people. So... Hopefully you got some information out of this podcast. If you haven't, you can probably click on RacerX next week and listen to Steve, Rich, and I talk about all the bikes. 
And if you don't like what I say, listen to Rich Taylor. He's been around a lot longer than I have. He was one of my idols growing up. He knows a lot about bikes in general. He was a test rider for Suzuki, test rider for Honda. A lot of things uh, that are invaluable in the sport, and it's knowledge. It's uh, time spent on bikes. And Rich, I don't think there is anyone else living right now that has spent more time on a wide range of motorcycles. Rich is the guy. I'm sure Doug Dubach has spent more time and laps on test bikes, but he's strictly on a blue crew. So um, for me, I respect that. I look up to that. Man, a lot of years riding dirt bikes, man. And I know I've been in the game for a a, a minute, and uh, I know how much time I put in. So I can only imagine how much time Rich has put in on these bikes. So you can click on that. You can email me, chris at keyforinktesting.com. If you have any questions, that's why we're here, people. We're building this little empire to try to create a better purchasing decision for you guys out there, a little bit more personal attention, so to speak. So some of that is missing in this world right now, so we're trying to give you guys the best direction and give you some personal attention so you make your decisions easier. So if you see me at a track, stop me, say hi, let's talk about dirt bikes, you like this shootout, come give me an email, say, hey, I like this, this is cool. If you guys hate it, send me an email and say why you hate it. Just say, Kiefer, you suck. You suck, Kiefer. Your shit sucks. I get it. I suck. But tell me why I suck because I like to improve as well. Again, I'm not perfect. I don't have the answers to every single thing out there, but I try my best to relay these messages to you in an organic way, just like we're bullshitting at the track, man, because let's face it. We're dirt bike people. We aren't polished. We aren't. I would say not all of us. Most of us aren't scholastic achievers in school. So we just like dirt bikes and we love it. And that's why we do it. And that's why I'm here, guys. So, hey, support the advertisers on this podcast. Again, they wouldn't be on this son of a bitch if they weren't good. And all these guys are good. So go support them. If you guys want a deal on a new bike, hit up Power Motorsports. Look at their website. Give me an email. I'll send you in the direction of David Sibley over there. He'll get you the best deal. And trust me, it's a steal, guys. And if you're in California and you don't want sales tax, holla. Oregon life, no sales tax. Uncle Sam can suck it. Yeah. Thank you. All right. Thank you for joining me. Thanks for having fun with me, guys. It's fun to do these things. I love talking about dirt bikes. Steve hates it sometimes because I get all amped up. And, uh, man, dirt bikes and after dark. I could just do podcast after podcast about that stuff. I love it. So thanks for joining me. I'll see you next week in this 2020 450 bracket-style shootout. Guess what? More podcasts next week. Not even the shootouts. I got a lot more stuff going on. VIP Husqvarna podcast dropping next week. That'll be fun. Still working on that 2020 gear shootout podcast. That will be wrapped up here soon. So a lot of things coming down the pipe. Thanks for joining me. See ya!